morning we're continuing on in this message series talking about how much better life is when we share our life with other people and we try not to just isolate but when we actually connect with people. And last week, just to review a few things, last week we looked at this. We looked at we were created for connection. If you like, you can follow along and you should have a listening guide, but we were created for connection. It's not on accident that we grow up in families or that we work in groups or that we graduate from classes and all of these things. Life happens in groups. God actually is the author of that. He's the author of community. Talked about that last night or last week as we looked at the first few chapters of the Bible, how community and relationships comes up early on, and that's God's intention. Here is Solomon, a king from, uh, you know, Many, many years ago, he wrote this. He stated this about in his midlife. He's making an observation about many things, but one of the observations he made was about relationships. And he, he said this, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. He's pointing out things in life that had no meaning. And so he comes to this and he says, this is the case of a man who's all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. So he's working, working, working really hard, exerting a lot of energy. But then he stops and he asks this question, a very important question that we should all ask. Who am I working for? Why am I going, why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It's all so meaningless and depressing. See, he he discovers that, you know, Solomon's saying meaning in life is magnified when we share our life with other people. We can really enjoy life in that way. In fact, we find out that science tells us that it's actually bad for our health to isolate ourselves. Heart, the risk for heart disease and depression spikes when people are isolated from, from groups of people, from community. And so God works in a way, and he, he works in a way in patterns of ways to redeem the world, and he actually uses community. This is the pattern that we looked at last week, is God first chooses leaders, or a leader, and he uses a leader to, to accomplish something, someone who's willing to take a risk and to obey whatever he asks. And then he uses the leader, they form a community, a group of people around him, and then God works to reach the world through that community. And we looked at that, and we traced that through Scripture last week. But that, that pattern is really what we've been trying to accomplish here as a church, is we want to be used by God as a community of faith to reach the world around us. And, and we know we were made for community. We learn about it in the Scripture, but there's something that just, it also just makes sense. When we do life with, with others, it just, life... Um, it moves along. We can enjoy it. Life also gets miserable, on the other hand, when relationships turn sour, though. And so this is an area that's very, very challenging. One of the most challenging things about doing life in community is that groups or community is made up of people. And so because people are involved, then it gets really messy. Whenever you put more than one person in a room together or in a group together, you have this potential for friction, don't you? Like to where we can rub each other the wrong way with our annoying, irritating habits. It's like sandpaper. We can be sandpaper people rubbing each other the wrong way to where our relationships can really turn sour. And it's easy to identify who the sandpaper people are in your life um, based on how you respond when you think about them or when they call. It might be that when they call and you have a sandpaper person in your life, someone that rubs you the wrong way or just they're irritating in some way, if you just cringe when you get a call from them, or maybe the energy just kind of zaps out of your body. You know, when you, you see the phone, you see the, the name, you might send it to ignore, or you might, you know, you just, oh gosh, this is going to be work, and, and we all have that. Or maybe after you've spent time with them, you need to eat a lot just to kind of settle down, because it was a rough experience. But 
we all have people like this. In fact, if we're aware of ourselves, if we're self-aware, we actually recognize that we are probably sandpaper people to someone else. You know, that we have these irritating, annoying habits that probably we're pretty difficult to get along with at times, aren't we? And if we're, if we're aware of that, of ourselves, then we know that's very likely true. Jesus, he was actually clear that a core characteristic of his followers is that they would begin to learn how to really love people that they would not naturally love on their own. Jesus said this. He talked about this. In fact, in his final moments, before he goes to the cross, Jesus prays this prayer for unity, and he prays this way. He says, he's praying to the Father, and he says, he's praying about us, the future, the church. He says, that they may may all be one. This is part of his prayer. That they may all be one, meaning unified, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. He's referencing the Trinity and just the unity among the Godhead and just how he's one with the Father. He's saying that he prays that, that, that... that the church would experience one oneness, unity. And then he says that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It was our unity that was on his mind in those kind of agonizing final hours. This is what he wanted for us. He could have prayed for a number of things, but he prayed for our unity. And his plan was to reach the world through a, a unified group, a unified church. And so he prayed that unity would 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 be the reality or just the norm for the church. And if it would, then what's implied in here is that unity has this magnetic force about it. When we're unified, it actually is like a magnet that draws people to want to get to know Christ. It draws people to want to find out, why would this diverse group of people be unified? Why would groups of people, small groups, large groups, why would groups be unified unless there's something real that I need to investigate here? That's what he's praying for is unity. And he promises to help. And here's the blank at the top of your outline is, this is crucial to understand because we are the greatest obstacles. We, people, are the greatest obstacles to living social, to really having a unified community. We're all very, very different. If you just look around the room, there's, a, there's different ages and hair colors, and there's just different, you know, we have generational differences, gender, there's, there's all these different things that we could just allow to to splinter and fracture our group if we, if we allowed it to. Because those are natural obstacles that we have to move past. And Paul, in the book, in the letter that he wrote to the church in Colossae, it's called Colossians is the book, he writes this letter and he, he talks about how to overcome obstacles that usually people don't move past. And he's talking about some of the obstacles that we deal with in church life. And so look at chapter 3, verse 11. It says this, here, Paul writes, meaning here in the Colossian church, he's writing to a church, so he's, He's writing here, meaning in the Colossian church, so we can apply this to us as well. There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What he's doing here is he's listing old labels that really divide people. Labels. He's listing out all these different labels that that can create and generate barriers and, and generate hostility if we allow them to, if the church will allow them to. And so he says there's, you know, there's not Greek, Greeks and Jews. The Jews would use the term Gentile or Greeks to talk about anybody who was not Jewish. And so that was a dividing line for many people. The next pair he gets to is the uncircumcised and the circumcised. And this is basically in the Jewish culture, there were people that the Jews would not relate to. They wouldn't relate to the non-Jews. And so there was this, anybody who wasn't a part of their ethnic or religious group, there was this separation that went on. In fact, they would separate themselves and they saw it as an unclean act to talk to or to, or to touch 
someone who wasn't Jewish. And so this was the Jewish way and the Jewish culture. And so Paul's saying, there's not Greeks. And he's talking about the church. There's not Greek, Jews, circumcised, uncircumcised. But what you saw in the first churches, and certainly in the Colossian churches, you see Jews and Greeks sitting next to each other. Paul would, he's writing because he remembered, this, this church is full of Jews and Greeks. People who were divided before were now worshiping together, were now singing together, were now serving together. They were eating, they were doing life together. He says, there's, there's not Jew, Greek, and then he says barbarian. The barbarians were, the, the Greeks considered anyone who didn't speak Greek, the language, was they considered them barbarians because they were uncultured people. They, had some, they kind of had a snooty way of, of looking at uncultured folks. And so they, they called those people who didn't speak Greek barbarians. Because when they listened to the language that, uh, that they spoke, the other language, it just kind of it sounded like bar, 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 bar. It just didn't make any sense. And so that's where the word comes from, is the barbarians, this bar, bar, bar. Kind of strange, isn't it? Kind of funny. But that's where the term came from. Then he says Scythians. Those were pretty much the lowest of low in society. They were this group of people from this remote geographical region. They were considered repulsive people. They were the lowest and most barbaric. So not only were they uncultured, but they were this uncivilized, wild group of people. And so, you know, Paul says there's even some of them in this bunch. But no, there's not, he's saying. Not Jew, Greek, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. The slaves in those days were not considered to be humans. Well, like some would say that up to one-third of the population in, in the city of Colossae, were likely to be slaves. Aristotle called slaves living tools. And so they were not considered humans. They were just very, very, you know, trampled upon. And so, but now here they are, all of these different groupings that were previously divided, now they're all together in the church. They're all working together. They're all doing life together. They're all relating to each other. They had this past history of hatred towards each other. Now enemies have become community. It's a very, very interesting thing. Now that's what happens in church life today. That's what we desire, what we would experience. And at times, I know these folks in that church would, would have this sandpaper effect because it's normal for them to bring their differences and their preferences. And that would be like a clash of wills. And so the New Testament, oftentimes the letters of the New Testament were just written to solve conflicts coming up in the early church. Acts, you read about conflicts. Some of the other letters that Paul wrote were about conflicts, setting slaves free, dealing with conflict between the Jews and the non-Jews. And you just see this over and over in the Scripture. But people, we are the greatest obstacles to forming healthy community because of our differences. And mainly the obstacles really between our ears. It's stuff that we think in our minds, high opinions that we hold and that others hold, and then those things clash. Look at what this one author said. It's a very, I think, uh, just a really helpful quote. The acid test of spiritual growth is the ability to love people I would not naturally love. And that is so true. This is what you can expect God to do in you if you follow him is to learn to love people that you would not naturally sign up to love or to relate to. If this is not happening in your life and you're a Christ follower, then there's some sort of disconnect. If you're, if you're only experiencing community and relations with people just like you and they have to fit within the strike zone that you've set, then there's some sort of disconnect on what Jesus had in mind 
for the unity that we were to experience. If we're in, in control of, well, yeah, you know, I can relate to these people, but only these people, then there's a problem. This is how God is. He, how God is. he loves people. Regardless if they love him back or not, he took the initiative in our lives, the Scripture says. He took the first step. And so because of that, he wants us as his people to do the same. To, to be like him is to love people and to take initiative. Let's look at this, this passage as we walk through it. This is how Jesus leads us to get past ourselves and kind of move past the bickering and irritation that, that comes. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. It says this. It says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if, it, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. See, this is what it takes to overcome the obstacles to connecting with the, with the church community because we're just so different. We're made up of a group of people that we're not naturally drawn to relate to. And it's just easy to think, I'm a pretty solid, in our mind, it's, it's easy to think, I'm a pretty solid follower of Christ. On my own, at my kitchen table, with music going on, and my Bible open, I, I'm a pretty solid follower of Christ. We all think that, you know. It's just me and Jesus. Just talking to God and praying, reading the Scripture, and just, it's me and Him. You know, it's even okay in this setting, because it still kind of feels like it's me and it's me and God, because I'm just listening to His Word being taught, and I'm able to just relate. I don't really have to interact. No one's forcing themselves to talk to me. And I mean, but as soon as it's not just Jesus and me, as soon as it's Jesus and we, that's when the sandpaper effect begins, and we really start rubbing each other the wrong way. And we need to choose to put on some of these things that Paul says. God uses this like an obstacle course to help us grow. And anytime, a lot of times we just quit in relationships whenever there's tension. We quit when there's conflict. We, we quit when there's another way of thinking. We back off. And whenever we allow ourselves to pull back and be isolated, we just cut off the possibility for tremendous spiritual growth in our life. So here's how we get through. First, starting from the end of the passage and working back, starting in verse 14, Paul says, put on love. Put on love. He says, above all, all these things, above all of these, put on love. This is the most important thing he wants us to get. Love is what binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is a love that does not depend on how I feel. If I love you, if you love someone else, if you love me, though, what that requires is we have to think about what the other person needs. It's love, this type of love is not a romantic feelings-based love to where I have to feel great about it. It's just we choose to do what's best for the other person and we choose to do that over. That's the way God loves us. And He makes it possible for us to love others in that way. And if we truly understand His love and we experience, wow, God loved me, He took initiative with me because of what I needed, forgiveness of my sins, if we understand that, that type of love, then we're able to extend that to other people. If we've experienced it ourselves, we can extend it to others. That's the first thing, put on love. Second, Paul says, bear with one another. Bear with one another. It's a real interesting uh, phrase in the Greek. It literally means this, to hold oneself up against. It's like you're holding, physically you're holding yourself up against someone else. You bear with them. It's, it's the idea to put up with. There's a natural pull away from people when there's conflict or tension, isn't there? 
Anytime there's tension, we want to withdraw. We want to ease the tension. We want to release the pressure on the relationship. To bear with someone means we hold ourselves up against that person. In a sense, we stay in community with them. We don't back off. We don't push away. But we bear with them. There are a few times and there's some cases where we all know it's wise to back off. You back off of predatory people. You stay away from dangerous people. There are people that are not wise to, to link your like life up with. But apart from that, that's really not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about when you're dealing with sandpaper people, difficult people, bear with them. Hold yourself up against them. I'm personally grateful that, that I have friends that put up and bear with me. I have Naturally, I have some annoying habits. And they know these things about me. And I'm aware of some of my irritating and annoying habits. I'm aware of some of them. Like I see this, this amount of them. But they see probably all this stuff. And, and I'm grateful that people bear with me because it gives me an opportunity, one, to experience God's grace through those relationships. It, it helps me experience how God loves me when others love me. And at the same time, it also gives me a chance if I'm aware, if I become aware that I have these annoying irritating habits that that are like sandpaper and that maybe do damage, it gives me a chance to work on those things if people bear with me. The same is true for all of us. Every time we stay and we bear in relationships, man, our heart grows just a little bit larger for others. And we get a chance to really grow ourselves. Another thing, the third thing is make peace quickly. Make peace quickly. Verse 13b says, If one has a complaint against one another, now this happens often, he says, forgiving each other. This should be the pattern, to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Now, this is a command. What this means is you must forgive. Christ followers must forgive. This is not an option. It's not optional for Christ followers to hold grudges. It doesn't mean that you, don't, that you feel great about how you've been hurt because it never feels good to get hurt. It never feels good to get damaged in a relationship. It doesn't mean you, you just... Pretend that it didn't hurt, but what it means is you don't hold a grudge. Instead, you move towards peace with them. And you move towards forgiveness. Forgive means to send it away or to, to let it go. And, and this is a, extremely important in a church community for this to happen over and over. Ephesians 4.3, Paul says in a different place, to a different church, he says, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Make every effort. It's... This means, literally the phrase is to speed towards peace. To speed towards, meaning make every effort, meaning pedal to the metal when it comes to bridging the, bridging the gap of isolation with others. And oftentimes what happens is we have, a, we have a, 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 an encounter with someone that is like sandpaper experience, and we don't like it. And then we think, I'm just going to avoid. I'm going to avoid them. Or I'm going to make it hard on them. And that's wrong. For us to choose to just back off and completely ignore the tension that's there. If God is saying, hey, I want you to make every effort towards unity because unity reflects on the unity that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have. Jesus prayed for unity in the church so that it would draw people to understand who God really is. And that is so important. But sometimes we just, we don't speed towards unity. We just drag our feet. And it does a lot of damage. And so we need to keep working through the rough waters of relationships. We just keep paddle through it, kind of get to the other side. The fourth thing he says is this, serve others. <clears throat> verse 12b, the second part of verse 12 says, put on then compassionate hearts. This compassionate hearts, this is the key to really connecting with sandpaper people. 
the people that rub us the wrong way, is to have a compassionate heart. A heart that basically feels for them. Compassion, the word in Scripture, it has to do with, it, the, the phrasing has to do with, it's literally, it's bowels of mercy. Bowels are our intestines, our inside, our innards. What this means is when you have a compassionate heart, it means that you allow their hurt, their struggle, their challenges, their life to really get down deep in, into you. You allow what they're facing and the challenges they're facing to get to you personally. It, it, it kind of rocks you from the inside. You know, when we encounter tough stuff and we get rocked on the inside ourselves, compassionate heart means you allow other people's challenges to get deep down in your inside to where it really impacts you. You begin to see life from their vantage point and don't just think, no, I don't want to be with them. But instead, you try to feel what they're feeling. He says, put those things on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience begin to serve people out of those things. The, another thing, the fifth thing is, Pray for them. Pray for people that are not like you. Pray for people that you have struggles with, that, are, that challenge you. Jesus said this in Matthew 5. He said, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you're struggling with someone, pray for them. Begin to pray for them. Whenever you do, what you're doing is you're acting more and more like your Heavenly Father when you pray. Probably the most like Him when we pray for people that are hard to relate to. You know, He says He refreshes. He sends His rain on the just and the unjust. This is His pattern. So we can pray for people. And then that leads us to this last thing. This last thing is, see them the way that God does. Really acting in prayer. God, would you help me to see them as you see them? So he says, put, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What this means is when you think, man, I wouldn't have chosen them for my group. I wouldn't have chosen them for my life. It's, well, God chose them. There are people in this church that, that you know, that relating to them, it's, it's God, they are God's chosen ones, meaning he's, he is this comes from the idea of the biblical idea of election. He's chosen some for salvation. And so because God does that, and He's in the process of cleaning us up, making us holy, but we're loved by Him, man, it helps us just put things in perspective when we love other people who have also been chosen by God. Who are we to say, no, He's not on my team. I don't want Him. I have bad memories about not being picked for teams because of my height or my appearance or those things. But just to know... In relationships, it's not about who I would choose, but God has chosen some people for me to relate to for my good and for my growth and, and for their good and for their growth. And to not and to just keep holding myself up against those relationships, that's good for us. And it breaks our heart. It breaks my heart when we see people withdraw because of this issue not happening. And it happens. It's happened. And it will continue to happen because the obstacle to real community is us. And we need to keep working through it. Here's a, here's a picture of a, of a priest who went to live among the lepers who were quarantined on one of the Hawaiian islands, the island of Molokai. His name is Father Damien. He lived in the 1800s. And this is an early photo of him. But he, instead, he could have just kept his distance from going to minister as a priest to the dying lepers of this island who people were just shipped there to die. To not infect other people, they were quarantined and and... And so he decides to go 
God was calling him to go and relate to this group of people who he wouldn't have chosen, but some of them were chosen by God for salvation. So he goes, moves there, ministers to them. And after 16 years of, of living among them and helping to meet their physical needs, their emotional needs, their spiritual needs, 16 years later, he contracts the disease himself and eventually dies of leprosy. Here's a picture of, of him near the end of his life, deformed. He's contracted the disease you know, he did ministry there. He died, but not before reaching countless lepers who had turned their lives over to Jesus Christ, who would experience both the forgiveness of their sins and eternity with Christ, but even experience the goodness of what God can do in, in the end of their lives. I mean, that takes a tremendous amount of perspective about what God has done in my life and in our lives to reach out to people who are so different than us and who interacting with them could do damage to us. But he saw those people the way that God does. What an example for us. We think, oh, it's hard for me to relate to so-and-so because they're hard to deal with. Imagine yourself in his shoes for a moment and just how challenging it must have been to, to wrestle through the emotions of relating to people like that. But this is what God wants for us, for us to see the way, for us to see each other the way that God sees us. I like to, to wrap up this message by asking you to just kind of Think through, okay, how, how should I apply this to me today? Is there a person that comes to your mind? I'm going to invite the band to go ahead and come up and the ushers to uh, prepare to receive our morning tithes and offering. But if you would just take a look at you know, this, these next steps. These are on the back of your connection card. You can drop this in the offering in a, in a few moments. But my next step is to maybe, maybe for you it's just get past myself by doing one of these six things. Maybe there's one person that comes to your mind that is like sandpaper in your life and that you just really need to ask God to help you apply one specific thing from this morning. I would, I would encourage you, don't think I've got to do all six. I'm going to circle the whole thing and check and circle and star everything. How about just decide on one area to apply this week and focus that one thing with that one person? The, the next one is just sign up for a small group today. Circles are always better than rows when it comes to growth. And so in a small group, what happens is you're relating in a circle. You're looking at each other. You're interacting. We're dialoguing. We're sharing life with each other. Again, these are people who are different than us. They'll be sandpaper people. We, we ourselves can be sandpaper to others. And so, But in a group, there's this circle possibility of interaction. Circles are always better than rows for growth. You're all in rows. You're staring up at me. And, you know, I, I, I study to come prepared to... To, to share a message, but you're only going to get so much when you're taking it in. The next step is to now interact with others and to share your life and your spiritual journey with others. So I really want to encourage you to, as Scott said, to sign up for a group. They're filling up, but we want to, we want to help everyone uh, plug into a group. So let's, let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for calling us into a relationship with yourself and for making it possible, Lord, for us to connect with you. For sending your son, you took initiative with us. You help us to experience peace. And we were your enemies, God. Anytime we struggle in relationships, we totally forget what you've done for us. We totally forget the good news of the gospel when we struggle in relationships. And God, relationships are hard. And many people here have been hurt 
They have been damaged deeply. And and those hurts, God, are, are deep wounds. And so, God, I pray that as they process through the hurts that are truly there, Lord, they would not allow those to form into grudges that would destroy their lives. Bitterness that would eat away like an infection at the rest of their lives and relationships and the possibility to move on. So, God, I pray that we would take your cue from the way you loved us how to really love people bear with each other God would you heal broken relationships in our congregation that are still torn and fractured would you do work Lord to heal we do pray for that God help us to be people who would hold ourselves up against others to really see you come through and provide peace and reconciliation and, and unity God as you desire for us as a church that others may experience something unique here in this place. Something is very different than the world. Lord, I pray that you'd use the unity of our church to draw people to know you, the God who's unified us. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name.